Traffic and Transit Update. He's involved in a number of businesses. He's a great role model. Telling it like it is. Giving you both sides of the story. This is Cats at Night. Great American, a great New Yorker. Now, here's John Katsimatidis. This is Cats at Night. John Katsimatidis here. This is a TriCast on uh, AM 970 The Answer, WLIR in Long Island, and at the Midtown Studios at WABC uh, Radio 770 on your dial and we have two common sense Democrats in the uh, in the studio. We have Judge Weinberg, Governor Patterson, and it's Friday. You know what that means? There is no Republicans in the studio. <laughs> they, they they have cut out on us. And uh, my sidekick, Lydia Serrani, we have a great show for you today. Absolutely. We'll be speaking with uh, John Solomon, Andrew Giuliani, who's running for governor, Larry Kudlow, Professor Alan Dershowitz, uh, Wilson. Uh, uh, Wilson Henderson, of the founder of the Stonewall Veterans Association, also speak to Sandy Half. But first on the line, we have with us Miranda Devine. I mean, what do you say about Miranda Devine? She is uh, everything that you know. She knows what what's we going on. We were at on. the same dinner party the other night, and we found out that she has three uh, boys, and and she's a hardworking mom too. She's a great writer. Tell us about you in your book. What's a Hunter Biden laptop? Laptop from hell. Hi, Lydia. Hi, John. Um, it, look, it's it's doing very well. And I think uh, as time goes on and uh, we're seeing more and more of the sort of corruption uh, and, and also complete incompetence of Joe Biden, uh, it becomes more relevant, especially, I think, uh, as we await the outcome of this grand jury in Delaware that's looking into Hunter Biden for um, money laundering and foreign agent uh, violations and also tax evasion. He's already paid uh, over $2.5 million in unpaid taxes to try and get out of uh, you know what, what any other mortal would be in deep trouble for. Uh, Miranda Devine, you wrote an interesting article recently. Uh, more migrant flights, they're still coming in. I'm seeing the videos all over social media. We basically have an open border I live in Westchester County. I've heard of the flights mm. coming in. I, I just can't believe this is still going on. It's, it almost seems like it's increasing at this point. It is, Lydia. I, now, it's, you know, we, we were first tipped off uh, last October, and they'd been coming since about August uh, or July, anyway, sometime in the summer. And they were sort of, you know, three or four times a week. Now, they're pretty much every single night, wow. and there are so many of them that they've had to send the overflow to the Hudson Valley, to Stewart International Airport. Um, it's outrageous. I mean, every plane carries about 240 passengers. So, you know, do the math. And New York's only one of the cities. There are towns and communities all over the country, from California, you know, Iowa, uh, you know, right across Florida, um, the whole country from the southern border, whether it's Yuma, Arizona, uh, McAllen, Texas, Harlingen, El Paso is a hub where they fly them straight from the border. And, you know, the rest of the media is not covering this. It's, it's just outrageous. Because- well, Miranda, uh, this is David Patterson. I was going to ask you just that. It being such a serious issue and it being it's not like the way guns are brought to different states. It's hard to figure out. You could mail them. You could do it by car. But in this case, there are only so many airports, so many, so many places they can land. Why hasn't the media set, set up shop and start taking pictures of these planes and pictures of the people getting off of them? 
Well, it, well, we have. I mean, at the New York Post, you know, we, partly it's because they come in so late. I mean, we, when we went and uh, first broke the story last October, um, these planes were coming in after midnight curfew. So, you know, you have to go and stake it out. And it took us a while to figure out which planes were which. So you, you go and stake out the airport and no plane lands. Um, so I guess that, you know, that's part of the reason. Maybe it's just, just the lack of will to stay up late. But the other issue is I just think that so much of the media is just in bed with the Biden administration and the Democrats. Uh, it but this is, this is an invasion of our country. It is. And the only reason that the Biden administration is getting away with it is because the media are complicit. They are turning a blind eye, just as they did with Hunter Biden's laptop. They're refusing to report this. <clears throat> and now that, you know, our reporting is starting to get traction. Fox News has been brilliant, of course, um, and Bill Malugin down at the border. And, you know, you guys are great. I mean, there, there is media that is that is doing this, but not the the CNNs and the uh, New York Times, the media that half the country, the Democrat voting half of the country uh, consumes. Um, but, but what happens is that now you've got NPR attacked us, or Fox News particularly, about the coverage of this, these secret migrant flights on Monday and just said, oh, you know, there's nothing to see here. It's always been like this. There were these flights when Trump was there and they're just, you know, little kids being reunited with their parents. Well, you know, I've been there at Westchester and watched these planes come in. We had a crew in Jacksonville where these planes into New York uh, drop off, uh, you know, a few dozen migrants. Um, and uh, we've seen them and they are not... Children. They're not what you think of as children. The youngest might be, say, 16, 17, but a good proportion of them are uh, late teens, early 20s, and most of them are male. And so what you're looking at is cheap labour, flooding the country, taking American jobs, but also taking food stamps, health, education, housing. Uh, we watch some of them uh, be dropped off at uh, some affordable housing in uh, the Bronx and Yonkers. And, uh, you know, we, we've got a, a homeless crisis in this city. There's affordable housing there for people who can't afford to pay rent. And it's being hoovered up by illegal migrants. And I have nothing against these people who've come from the poorest countries around the world, not just in Latin America, uh, but you know, they're looking for a better life. And uh, what Joe Biden has done is not compassionate. He has basically sent out the, the siren song to these people all around the world and said, come to America, the borders open, uh, I will you know, give you asylum as soon as you stroll across the border. All you have to do is get yourself to the border and we, the government, the American government, will actually uh, pay for that last leg of the people smugglers' journey. So Joe Biden is now in business with the cartels and it's a very dangerous journey. You know, he's he's luring these people into the arms of some of the most evil predators in the world. They use their entire life savings. They scrape and scrimp from families and communities to send one person to make this very dangerous journey where they can be sex trafficked, raped, murdered. Uh, and, you know, at the hope that at the other end, they'll serve as an anchor in America to bring their families over. And who can blame Miranda, them? You know, my ancestors did the same. I can't believe we are telling the world we have 
hundreds of thousands of people, maybe a million listening to us, and you at Fox and you at the New York Post, and, and nobody is doing anything about it. I just, it, it is hard to believe that this is the United States Because of this is what they want. This is what the Biden administration wants. But, but, but where's the rest of us? Where's our CIA? Where's our FBI? But, John, I would well, suggest that um, in furtherance of what Ms. Devine is saying, and, and I accept what she's saying, I demur to her complaint, right, Your Honor, meaning I'm going to accept that everything is true. But don't you think maybe it's not the planes anymore? There are people who work at the airports. There are people who are flying the planes some investigative reporting could find out who those people are. They're not all going to lie because some of them clearly are doing it to keep their jobs. Well, we know who they are. We know these particular charter flights. It's Aero, Avello, uh, World Atlantic Airways, a couple of new ones. Omni has come in and another Canadian airline now, Global X. They're making millions and millions of dollars. And I have spoken to a whistleblower from Avello who's disgusted about what her company is doing. She says these flights are so secret. They're also taking pilots and crew off their regular flights. They're based in Burbank. Uh, and, you know, they, the, the regular passengers who pay fees, um, you know, Americans, uh, they have their planes cancelled, but these migrant flights never get cancelled because the government contracts are so lucrative. And uh, they're flying. The reason they're doing it at night is because... They're trying to evade public scrutiny. And one of the reasons we know that, too, is because uh, they've moved the planes at uh, White Plains Airport. They've moved them across the other side of the term uh, of the tarmac uh, to Ross Aviation so that we can't take photographs very easily. And um, they've also, the buses from JNF Tours, which pick them up, the charter buses, and take them to their destinations, whether it be a rest stop on the New Jersey Turnpike or, uh, you know, affordable housing in the Bronx. Um, These buses now have covered over their logos because they don't want the publicity. You, you, you know, I've tried to contact these bus companies and they hang up on me. They refuse to answer anything. It's too lucrative. These people... They're making a ton of money. ...so much money and times are tough. And where are you going to get that kind of steady income except from the government? It is like bonanza for these people. John, what does that tell you when they're doing it in the dead of night? They're literally hiding from the cameras. They're hiding from everybody. Why? Miranda, they're doing something we, we wrong. Have- we have to take a break. Thank you so much for calling in. And thank you. Keep fighting. Please do not give up. We're fighting for our freedom and we're fighting for our country. Thank you so much. Good on you. Thanks so much, John. I'll tell you what, John, if they expose this somehow, it will be really destructive to the people who are doing it. Well, it's happening. And uh, where's the FBI? <clears throat> well, when you got the president of the United States is orchestrating it, but we have our next guest. American, it's illegal. We'll have to see how her <laughs> words are taken by her peeps, the people who use her as an influencer and, and, and recognize her and respect her as an influencer. We'll know tonight, tomorrow, and Sunday how those who oppose this ruling plan to behave, and, and we'll, we'll draw a lot of conclusions from it. We, were, we interviewed uh, John Solomon a short time ago. While they queue that up, uh, we can talk amongst ourselves. Judge Weinberg, I have to ask you about the Roe v. Wade overturning. So now Justice Thomas, bless you, Governor. Thank you. There is this concern now that Justice Thomas says he wants to take a look at 
overturning gay marriage, right, and contraception, and so now there's this big. Leave her- it alone, my God! Okay. Now that's this- disgusting. I, I mean, know. Enough there's is now enough. The- now- Let people do whatever they want. Today is Pride Day at uh, at the WABC, mm-hmm. and uh, you know what do we stand for? Letting people do what they want to do. Oh, I agree with you okay, 100%. Okay, so, uh, you know, you bring it up like it's a crime. Oh, no, no, no. Well, I'm, you, I'm, you, that's what I, I felt like when you when I heard you. No, no, no. I'm telling you what people are saying about Justice Thomas because I, I don't I think people should love and marry whoever they want to. But I'm saying to you, that's not uh, even a real fear, let's, correct, let's, Judge? Let's have a so real, let's have a real the, conversation. Dis- let's have I a real have, conversation. A real conversation. Tell us the truth. I read, the truth is I read the decision. It's a very narrow decision. It's a reasonable decision. It simply said that there's no federal constitutional right to abortion, and it gave it and back, gave to, it the back to the states where it belongs. That's, That's all. Right. And ju- the, the majority opinion written by Justice Samuel Alito made it very, very clear that nothing and, else was on the table. And a lot of the companies are coming out that if you live in a state that, that, that doesn't believe in abort- abortion, like I think J.P. Morgan said it, Bank of America said it, we will provide— uh, Transportation uh, for our employees. So why the fear mongering? Because I'm what- because why the fear mongering? It's, it's an fear- election year. It's an election year. It's a it's a gimmick, as I said in last night's show, um, for both sides. Same thing with the gun debate about getting money for the political coffers. That's what it's about. It's ridiculous. Do we you- have a uh, Do we have a uh, uh, John Solomon yet? All right. Why don't we? Uh, maybe you called uh, uh, Andrew Giuliani. I think he uh, we had that one too. On the line with us right now is the Republican candidate for New York governor, Andrew Giuliani. Andrew, your passion, your fire, very admirable. You've been doing really great so far in the debates. A lot of news going on. Uh, I mean, where do we go? Where do we go from here? Especially the big topic in New York is the gun law. Well, John, Liddy, it's great to be on with you right now. But before we get into that, and obviously all the news, John, uh, today actually I was in Binghamton. I was with Senator Doug Mastriano, who's the Republican candidate from Pennsylvania, and we were talking about fracking. We were talking about energy and how much on the southern tier of New York, but really all around the state, we can use that. And I know you know more about that than just about any other human being that I've ever seen. All I know, uh, Andrew, Andrew, all I know is the people on the Pennsylvania side are driving Mercedes-Benz and Cadillacs. The people on the New York side of that borderline are driving 56 Chevys. You're, you're absolutely right. And Binghamton, unfortunately, is one of the most dangerous areas in our entire state. If you were to actually, uh, 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 you were actually to tap into the Marcellus Shale on the New York side over here, um, that would not be the case. And we'd see crime get reduced. Um, and, and I think that's honestly the whole conversation that we need to be focusing on in the state. What can we do to make sure that we are saying we are open for business all around the state and making sure that we're reducing crime also around New York. Uh, That's where the focus should be. The focus should be getting weapons out of the hands of criminals. And unfortunately, we only are talking specifically about the gun. We're not talking about the criminals enough. It's very tough for me to listen to Kathy Hochul preach when really you think about it, she rarely ever talks about bail reform or crime. And, And it's just unfortunately the data and numbers are not lying. It's going up all around the state. And that's why we need a change. Well, we want to keep New Yorkers safe. And I've been repeating this statistic until uh, uh, forever. Eight and a half million New Yorkers in New York City, they want to be safe. And there's 3,000 violent criminals. They deserve to be put away. So the rest of the eight and a half million people, 
are safe. And I ask all the politicians, who on whose side are you on? Yeah, it's exactly right. And if, if you want to play politics and uh, if you're a Democrat, let's say, and you want to play politics and you want to play to your base, then this is something you're not going to address, but you're not addressing the most important issue to all New Yorkers, including to Democrats. And I have to tell you, when you look at our neighborhoods all around the state, the neighborhoods getting, that are getting hurt the most, they're majority-minority neighborhoods, unfortunately, and that's really the saddest part about all of this. If we empower our police again, if we promote community police relations in the real way that we need it to be, if we allow different broken windows policing policies to come back in and rule the day, then crime will go down in New York State. And, John, you remember this in the 90s. It'll go down a lot faster than people think. This, is, this would happen in six months to a year where you'd see tremendous progress, and all of a sudden we'd start seeing businesses look about expanding or coming back to New York. Andrew Giuliani, we're hearing these stories. Uh, recently, someone was arrested 122 times. Another person oh. was arrested 99 times uh, in one week alone. These people, it's become such a revolving door. We had uh, Deputy Commissioner of Counterterrorism John Miller on John's show yesterday, and he said, you know, the difference between 2017 and now is that back then the criminals were actually kept behind bars. So you even have these top tier officials that are really frustrated because they got the cops out there. They're doing their jobs, but our system just keeps letting them out. And yet Hochul and the legislators in Albany, they're just not budging. So how will you be able to make them budge? Well, Lydia, I actually can tell you I heard it first from you, I believe it was yesterday on Bernie and Sid during your news break when you mentioned that this guy was arrested some 50 times today and 122 times overall. If we're not using common sense, um, I don't understand what we're talking about here. Look, this is very simple. On day one, I will sit down with the head of the assembly and the leader of the state senate and tell them very simply – Before we get to anything in our upcoming budget negotiations, if you want me to even look at your priorities, you need to repeal bail reform, a full repeal of bail reform. And if they're not willing to budge on this, this is very simple. I will go right into their districts and I will use the governor's bully pulpit and tell their constituents very simply, these policies are costing the lives of their constituents. We haven't had a governor that could do that since Pataki. Um, I really be able. I really believe we'll be able to do that starting on day one, and that's why I'm asking people to come out and vote for me this Tuesday, June 28th. Well, Andrew Giuliani, good luck. Uh, you, you know, I know your dad a long time, and uh, uh, we need New Yorkers to be safe. And uh, we'll catch up with you primary night. I said Andrew Giuliani John. is the best of both worlds. You're like your dad, but you you're also just like your mom. She's also very charismatic. Wow. So you've got like the best <laughs> of both worlds. So we wish you the best of luck. Thank you so much. I'm a very blessed I'm a very blessed son and have a great daughter, Grace, too. And thank you very much, John and Lydia. I appreciate it. Well, that was Andrew Giuliani, and uh, you know, we I think we had Astorino this morning, we had Giuliani today, and I think on Sunday we have uh, um Zeldin, uh, yeah, Zeldin, and, and Harry uh, Wilson, Harry Wilson, and yeah, and we so also many, we so also offered it to Democrats. The so few, refused. Few people voting, John. Fuzzy. That um, it would. It's really hard to trust the polls in something like this, and there are going to be two uh, primaries, both in the summer. That's never happened before, and uh, it's going to be very early, interesting. And governor, the early voting is it's whoever gets the vote out. A, well, early voting is very de minimis. Very few Let's votes. take a vote. 
Uh, let's take a vote. Let's take a vote, John. Okay, I vote for you, John. <laughs> <laughs> Writing let's, candidate. Let's take a, uh, a a break, and when we come back, we're going to come back with Larry Kudlow to find out, is there any movement up and down on the economy? Guests, great conversation, and the truth. Giving you both sides of the story. He's a great role model. When he does get involved, he's all in. John Katsimatidis and Cats at Night on 77 WABC. Welcome back to the John Katsimatidis Cats at Night show. Now on the line for us is the world's leading economist, the solar system's leading economist. It is a Larry Kudlow. Hit that cavalry. Come on. That's what... That's what when when we, Larry comes on, there you go. <laughs> oh no, <laughs> Larry! What the heck is going on this week? You know, I, by the way, tell Governor Patterson there's more where that came from. <laughs> I, I know, Larry. I know. I actually tried to to rig the uh, station's technology so when they hit that button, it wouldn't go off today, but it failed. It's just it's, like you know, things other Democrats have done lately. <laughs> You got another four months, sir. Um, (laughs) My favorite story of the week is the bait and switch with President Biden and the oil, the the CEOs, uh, the leading oil companies. I guess they had seven of them, you know, which came to town in Washington to meet with the president and um, try to work out some kind of arrangements to loosen up the regulations and restrictions. So here's what happened. First of all, Biden did not meet with them. They wound up meeting not with the boss, but the sub-boss, that being uh, Secretary of Energy Jennifer Granholm, in the Energy Department, which is about a mile away from the White House. And I don't know if you've ever seen the Energy Department, but it looks like something out of 1970s public housing. I mean, it's a very very grim building. So, And it was an unsuccessful meeting, although Granholm was – uh, she did not insult them uh, the way Biden usually insults the oil people, but they didn't get they asked her for some waivers on regulations and restrictions. So perhaps they could add some oil and gasoline supply to bring down prices. But that didn't happen. Meanwhile, that afternoon and the oil guys didn't know this until later in the morning. That afternoon, Biden does show up for a meeting in the White House in the beautiful Roosevelt Room with windmill makers. Windmill makers, not the oil guys who could help them, but the windmill guys and a bunch of labor union guys. That's a lot. Were they Dutch? (laughs) There was a lot of hot air in that room, right? They should. Yes, there you go. They should have been Dutch. So, all right, it was a classic bait and switch. And then I guess Biden later on got in some attacks on gas stations. uh, And John Katz went after him on Varney this morning, which was very good, John. So that really was the biggest thing uh, this week. Of course, we had the big Roe v. Wade decision today. We had the gun control decision uh, yesterday uh, regarding the New York Sullivan Law. And today we did get a pretty nice relief rally, over 800 points. So this week stocks will be up, although last week stocks were down for a record amount. So it's a very strange time. There's a lot of uncertainty. The other wrap-up story I'm looking at is um, uh, Fed Chairman Jay Powell basically told everybody, if it takes a recession to beat inflation, we're going to get a recession to beat inflation. So you can choose your poison on that. But regarding this fossil fuel bait and switch, of course, Biden was very rude to the oil CEOs. 
they can help them. And uh, again, John, uh, David Patterson, you can cover your ears. But to be honest, I just can't wait for the cavalry to come. I just can't wait. Uh, we need we need it because it, it, we we had Miranda Devine uh, on before uh, Larry, and Miranda Devine says those airplanes are coming from the south, full of immigrants, unknown who they are, uh, almost every day now. Mm. You know, yeah. she's right about that. You know, Larry. Uh, when you. Uh, yeah, I just was going to tell you something. Um, Anybody who believes in clean and renewable energy sources has to understand that it's not like you you take the plug out of the wall in one place and put it into another. These are ideas that are good, but they first of all, they take a tremendous amount of money to do it. It's not like oil that you just put in a pipe and you can send it all over the, the planet. And why they keep thinking that you can shut down these facilities and replace them with clean and renewable energy sources that aren't even close. Solar power, uh, you can only save it for 13 hours, and it's only available for 12 hours a day when the sun is up. I, yeah, I never understood dumber, that. They're, they're dumber than dog crap. And there's another well, issue, too. Well, Larry, well, uh, it's Richard Weinberg. There's a cover story in the Wall Street Journal today about the, there's no ability and no technology and no staff to bring back nuclear. So everybody keeps saying, we'll use nuclear as an alternative source, but it's really not there. Well, that's true, although there's some progress on these um, nuclear modules, these small nuclear modules. Um, There's some progress on that. Bill Gates has done some investing in there. But look, the basic point is, you know, we have a shortage of refineries. The refineries we have uh, are 95 percent of capacity, so there's not much they can do with that. Um, the restrictions, there's no permitting going on. The restrictions are very difficult. There's no pipelining going on. The point is, if you invite the oil companies to Washington to meet with the president, they should meet with the president. And it was really an insult. But and I thought it turns out I'm sorry. he was, you know, he shows up with the windmill guys in the uh, beautiful Roosevelt room in the White House. I mean, that really was an assault on them. And they know that. And I, you know, I know several of them, uh, and I spoke with them after the meeting, and it was, you know, <laughs> they're doing the best they can. They're trying to make agreements, but Biden will not budge. He will not. He won't give them any waivers, and it is difficult to. I mean, look, John knows this business backwards and forwards. You can't just, you know, refineries. Again, you you need forward planning. You need capital investment. It's very difficult. It can take a couple of years to put them together. Uh, you know, what you're seeing here is a longer-term problem, and it's going to keep supply short and prices high. And uh, this administration does not understand that they are wedded to the Greens. Look, I had Harvey Pitt was on the show today, former chairman of the Securities Exchange Commission, and we talked about the current SEC, which has put out this couple-thousand-page rule, which is forcing all businesses— to make estimates upstream, downstream, consumers, suppliers, futuristic, all estimates about the carbon impact of their businesses. And this SEC, you know, it's the Security Exchange Commission. It's not the Security and Environment Commission. We have an Environment Commission. That's called the EPA. But here's the SEC piling on is part of Biden's war against fossil fuels. So you look at this stuff, 
and you say it's hopeless. All right, as long as he's running that place, it is hopeless. And the tragedy is we are going to have to live with high prices and high inflation for a long while, not the next six months. We're talking several years minimum, uh, again, until and unless the cavalry comes and changes this bloody thing. But now, I- La- Larry, Larry Kudlow, we are in deep uh, doo-doo because our country is not going down the right track. And I don't care if you're a Democrat. I don't care if you're a Republican. Our country is not going down the right track. And thank you for standing up and telling it the way it is. And God bless you and keep keep telling people the truth. And we'll catch up again real soon. And I got to remind everybody, I'm going to be listening to Larry's show on WABCradio.com uh, and 770 on your dial every Saturday. The number one show on Saturdays between 10 o'clock and 1 o'clock tomorrow morning. And uh, you'll you'll know how the rest of the week has gone. And thank you, Larry Cutler. All right, kids. Thanks a lot. Bye bye. And uh, let's uh, uh, do we we have Alan Dershowitz on yet? Oh, we're coming, Alan Dershowitz. Uh, let's after take the a break. break, and we'll probably have him after the break. This is Cats at Night with John Katsimatidis. And you're a classic example of the people who built this country. On 77 WABC. Welcome back to the John Katsimatidis Cats at Night show. Now on the line for us, Professor Alan Dershowitz. What a treat. Two times in one week. I mean, I, Professor Dershowitz, I mean, you got nothing to talk about today, obviously. Uh, obviously, I'm, I'm being facetious. <laughs> Did anything happen in the Supreme Court the last couple of days? Wow. <laughs> wow. We have turned the Constitution well, on its head. At least we know that Supreme Court justices were not scared to make a move. And they're right not to be scared. And we're right as a country to protect them. Whether you agree with them or disagree with them, they deserve to be fully protected, not threatened and not coerced or nothing like that. Um, and, I, you know, Chuck Schumer should be ashamed of himself for having said that you won't know what hit you to the justices who joined in today's decision. Look, I disagree with today's decision. I think it went too far. They could have just upheld the the Mississippi statute, which prohibits abortions after 15 weeks. They didn't have to get to the issue of Roe versus Wade, but they did. They decided to do it. And now it's going to be up to the states and the voters will decide in each state how much uh, right and how much limitations on rights there should be. Democracy will have to make that decision. Well, it's state by state. Uh, How many states do you think uh, the abortionists will have problems in? Oh, I think quite a few for a while. But I do think that this is, in the end, going to help the Democrats in some states which are close and which you have people who are on the fence about how to vote Republican or Democrat, and they have daughters or nieces or grandchildren, and they're going to say to themselves, you know, I just want them to be able to have an abortion in the first few weeks if there's an accident, and maybe they'll vote Democrat uh, as a result. We don't know. Nothing is predictable. Everything has changed. I just hope this doesn't endanger the rights of gay marriage, of contraception. You know, there's a big difference between abortion. Abortion has a potential victim. There is a fetus. It's not an appendix. It's a real thing. Whether you think it has the right to life or not, it's a real thing. With gay marriage, on the other hand, 
nobody's business. Who cares? Um, you know, with uh, contraception, nobody has the right to be born, to be conceived. So I would hope the courts would make that distinction. And the majority said yes, and Justice Thomas said no. Justice Thomas said we want to abolish the entire right of privacy, and that would mean no contraception and no gay marriage, and a lot of the basic fundamental rights would be erased. But I don't think he's going to get his way on that. I think, uh, Alan, Richard Weinberg, I think uh, the majority opinion made it very, very clear it was a narrow decision on this particular case. That's it's right. not going to reach those other issues. And Thomas this case won't reach those. Yeah, this case won't reach it, but you're going to see challenges. You're going to see some fundamentalists bring challenges, and they'll win some in the lower courts. And then we'll see what the Supreme Court does. You're absolutely right. The majority went out of its way to limit this case only to abortion. But, you know, abortion is based on the right of privacy, and so are other rights. So we'll see if it can just stand as an abortion case or whether or not others will prevail. Professor Dershowitz, what's your reaction to hearing what the president said about the Supreme Court and Nancy Pelosi and AOC basically saying that their decision doesn't matter, that it's illegitimate, and now he want, Biden wants it to go to Congress? Well, first of all, it's not illegitimate. Um, as you know, I believe at least one of the justices was illegitimately appointed. That is, I think that the Republicans acted improperly in not even giving Merrick Garland a hearing because it was eight months or nine months before the election and then ramming through Barrett, even though it was only weeks before the election. But that's a different issue. The Supreme Court is legitimate, and all of us have to respect it's a co-equal branch of the United States government, and AOC is wrong about that, as she's usually wrong about Congress. Look, Congress has the right and the power to pass legislation under the Commerce Clause saying that abortion is a matter of interstate commerce. People travel from state to state. People are very mobile. You get pregnant in one state. You want to have an abortion in another state. And then the question will come, do they have the votes in Congress? Probably not at the moment. But if they did, is it constitutional under the Commerce Clause? And I wouldn't bet a lot of money either way on that one. It's a very hard question whether the Commerce Clause would justify a national uh, right to abortion. And the president said he would use his executive authority. That's a loser. The president does not have executive authority in an area like this. It either has to be legislation or judicial decisions. Alan, this is David Patterson. Why would the president say he's going to use executive authority? Does he not know that? Or was that just said to look like you're trying to fight back? I think more the latter than the former. I think he really wants to be able to fight back. And I think there are some people in the administration who are telling him, look, try it. Who knows? Maybe you could at least provide funding for people to travel from state to state to get abortion. There may be some executive powers that can be exercised. But the president does not have the power to overrule the Supreme Court and say, ipso facto, from now on, abortion is going to be lawful in Oklahoma if Oklahoma doesn't want it to be lawful. Alan, what about the gun case? What are your thoughts about that? Well, I think New York has a lot of work to do. It has to write a statute. Remember, the two of the justices said that New York could write a statute that was objective. For example, one that said you have to be 21, one that says you can't use AR-15s, one that says you have to have a background check. As long as they're objective and clear, maybe they'll be upheld. The New York statute that was struck down was very vague. It gave administrators the power to decide who really needs to be protected and who doesn't need to be protected. 
that was too much power. And so I, I'm not particularly critical of the decision itself. It's some of the language of the decision, uh, which suggests perhaps a broader restriction on state power. I mean, it's, in, it's interesting that on two days, one Supreme Court decision grants the states enormous power, abortion, and the other one takes away from the states enormous power. Excellent gun regulation. point, Alan. Yeah. But the argument on the other side is, yeah, because one of them is in the Constitution, the Second Amendment. The other one is just, you know, implicit, but not explicit in the Constitution, the right to privacy. But they do they do look in different directions. You know, Professor Dershowitz, I was talking about this with Judge Weinberg. We're also talking about the uh, scope of technology now. You know, 50 years ago when Roe v. Wade came into play, we didn't know all we know, especially when it comes to viability of the fetus. So That's it's right. surprising to me how many people are just so they, they want abortion up until up until birth. And now we know with technology, I've done stories myself about sure. babies being born that they weigh less than the cell phone and they live and they right. thrive. Yeah, it cuts both ways. Technology teaches us that what we consider life begins much earlier. There's no question that much earlier in time fetuses are viable, but it also proves that abolishing abortion completely, that at the very beginning when you just have cells and, and that, that that's, that's very, very different. So I think, I think technology supports what Americans support. The vast majority of Americans don't want abortion up to the birth, up to the end. And the vast majority of Americans don't want a total abolition of abortion. They want 15 weeks, 12 weeks, 18 weeks. They want something in the middle. And that's what they could have gotten if the Supreme Court had done the right thing in this case, simply addressed the uh, Mississippi statute without reaching out and in an act of judicial activism, deciding a case that wasn't necessarily before them. Alan Gershowitz, thank you so much for speaking out and uh, telling ah, the pleasure. truth. And <laughs> uh, have you. a great weekend, and we'll catch up you with you next week. Weekend. Yeah. And uh, today is Pride Day at uh, WABC, and uh, we have with us we had such a party today. We have with us uh, Wilson Henderson. He's the founder of the Stonewall Veterans, as well as uh, Bert Kaufman. They're both on the line with us. How are you guys? Fine. Thank you for having us, especially on Gay Pride Weekend. And and tell us... Uh, gay Pride, yeah. Gay Pride. So tell us, what does this day mean for you? Obviously, there's the commemoration of the Stonewall riots played an important, pivotal uh, moment in the right for, for equal rights for all people. Well, the members of the Stonewall Rebellion Veterans Association noticed rebellion, not riots. It wasn't oh, a riot. Riot. That's riot a term that's used. Our oh, I'm sorry. Rebellion. Term. Oh, it's okay. I'm sorry. Most Malita. people use that term because that's what uh, gays many decades later put out. But anyway, at that time, it was that was the police term. They called it riots to make it, like Burke just said, criminalized. So, um I, the club opened in uh, the beginning of 1966. January was mafia run, which means it was run very well because they have a good sense of business uh, and wanting people to come back. So we did. We, we were very protected there. Nothing ever happened. Not like what you hear, you know, these years, like the Pulse uh, Club down in Florida with the massacre. That would never have happened at the original Stonewall Club because it was run by the mafia. So you went there because it was like the first community gay center. And it was fun. You met people. I brought my own boys with me, so I didn't go there to meet any, though I did. 
And the music was great. That was a big part of it. And you felt like family there. It was fun. It was nice. It wasn't political. No one asked if you're a Democrat or an independent or Republican. Uh, it was gay people. And it didn't have all the terms you have now. So um, ultimately, uh, on June 27th, Friday, it's nearly exactly 53 years, long story short, when the police raided it that night, which they had been doing for years. I was there for at least a dozen raids over the years. How about you, Bert? Yeah, it was habitual back then, yeah. Yeah, it was habitual. So, But the, the white lights came on, and then when the cops got the payoff, they left, and, and uh, the jukebox was plugged back in, and the white lights went off, and everyone just resumed what they were doing. But that night, they stayed the white lights never went off. And unfortunately, they picked the wrong night. Why? Because that was the day of Judy Garland, the gay icon's funeral, the same day, same afternoon, in Manhattan. Emotions were running high, yeah. Wow, I didn't know that. So Dorothy, Wizard of Oz, I know. Um, yeah. Well, well that, we well, got a minute term, left. I'm glad you said that, because the term was used, if someone was a friend of Dorothy, that was saying, are you gay? That that was the term that was used. Oh, my God, I did wow. not know that. So much. And the well, that's why you have us on the show. Well, tell uh, us. Judy Garland and all her gay husbands, yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah, like Liza's uh, father, as an example. So, um and, and fag tags went there, too. You never hear it unless you hear it from the Stonewall Rebellion Veteran Association. By the way, this information is on our website, which is www.stonewallvets, one word, V-E-T-S, dot org. Uh, the true story, not the revisionist urban legend uh, lies and, and, and spinoffs. And uh, um, uh, so the... Um, Group and Wilson are the authentic, genuine people of the community, not these self-appointed ones of today. Well, thank you so much for enlightening us. And I learn something new every day about the Stonewall Rebellion. Thank you so much, guys. Uh, Wilson Henderson and Burt Kaufman. Tell us again your website. Sure. And what is your name? I didn't. Oh, I'm I'm Lydia Serrani. Governor Patterson is here in studio. Judge Weinberg and John Katzmatidis. It's his show. Well, Mr. Katz, thank him for being a supporter of our conference every year. He's been doing it. This is the 10th year. It's our 53rd conference, but through Gristides, and it's greatly appreciated, and his whole staff is a delight to deal with. And you said Governor Patterson is there? Yes, Governor Patterson. He knows. An old friend of Stonewall, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> we were. Uh, he's a longtime supporter of the Stonewall Veterans Association. And the website, again, it's uh, HTTPS, we have that S, colon, slash, slash, www.stonewallvets.org. Well, thank you so much, guys. Are you going to the parade? We're having our big conference tomorrow. Uh, There's too much controversy with the, quote, parade this year and the last couple of years since Stonewall 50. So a lot of gay groups are banning them. Oh, okay. Well, it'll be beautiful weather. But a good question. Uh, But tomorrow is our big event because we have Stonewall veterans come in from various parts of the country as far away as uh, Palm Springs, California. All right. Well, thank you so much. Happy Pride. Thank you, guys. Let's take a break. And uh, when we come back, uh, we have some news uh, from the stadium in Staten Island for the Ferry Hawks. 
This is Cats at Night with John Katsimatidis. And you're a classic example of the people who built this country. On 77 WABC. Welcome back to the John Katz Matidis Cats at Night Show. Now we have on the line with us Sandy Haft. She's a camp director for Camp Sunrise, and she has an amazing event that's going on at the Staten Island Ferry Hawk Stadium. He, excuse me, he, Sandy, tell us all about it. Sure. So um, I'm the camp director of Sunrise Day Camp in Staten Island. We are having our biggest fundraiser of the year. It is our Sunrise Walks at the Ferry Hawk Stadium on Sunday. Um, and we are inviting the community to come and participate to support our camp. As I said, a free camp for children with cancer and their siblings. And tell tell us exactly where it is, what time it is, and tell tell the people to come on down. Come on down to the Ferry Hawk Stadium in Staten Island at ten o'clock. We're going to ask people to go to our website, and that is www.sunrisewalksstateniland.org. Um, we want to fill the stadium. We want. We know that we're going to get hundreds and hundreds of people. But John, and that's Sunday, right? You didn't say doing. Sunday. That is that is this coming Sunday. We truly appreciate what you you're doing for Staten Island for the Ferry Hawks. People should come and see us participate in this event. Um, and where does the money the go? The money will go to support our day camp, the only day camp in New York City for children with cancer and their siblings, and it's a free day camp. Well, well thank you so much. Thank you so much. And uh, if I'm in New York, I'm going to come on down there at 10 o'clock please, on Sunday. Please, we'll, you know, we're, we're, we're going to have a shirt right ready for you. Thank you so much, and, uh, and I hope the sun shines on Sunday. Thank you. Thank uh, you. And now uh, we do have the rest of the audio from John Solomon, uh, as we asked him, what the heck is happening uh, with the uh, Supreme, Court, Supreme Court decision? Let's go to it. American, it's illegal. We'll have to see how her words are taken by her peeps, the people who use her as an influencer and, and, and recognize her and respect her as an influencer. We'll know tonight, tomorrow, and Sunday how those who oppose this ruling plan to behave, and, and we'll, we'll draw a lot of conclusions from it, I'm sure, by by Monday. I think there's a couple things that – we have to look back on in history because there are two fateful moments in the last six years that set the stage for this moment. I just want to, for those who've forgotten, uh, the makeup of the Supreme Court was really redefined by these two moments. In the summer of 2016, Mitch McConnell refused to do a nomination hearing for Merrick Garland, who had been the uh, nominee for Barack Obama. Uh, that kept the court uh, uh, with a conservative majority long enough for Donald Trump to become president. Donald Trump became president. And then he was able to get three Supreme Court nominees on, the three that joined uh, in this uh, ruling. And in the summer of 2020, when Mitch McConnell could have done what he did in 2016, he did the opposite, and he got Amy Coney Barrett through uh, as the third justice of the Trump presidency. It's that coalition that tipped these two rulings to their very clear point today. So, Donald Trump's legacy as a president, three support nominees clearly cemented by today's ruling, and Mitch McConnell's parliamentary tactics, probably a major storyline beneath the surface of what really happened today. John Solomon, last time I checked, I didn't see the word abortion in the Constitution. Has that changed? <laughs> you know what? I think the court is really clear. When you take yesterday and today's rulings in their context, what the court is saying is if a right is explicit in the Constitution, 
the right to bear arms is explicit. It's in the Second Amendment. Then the court will uh, make sure that nobody infringes on those yet rights. Yet the Democrats have an issue with that. But it's they explicitly yeah, they, said they, in the Constitution, yet something that's not said in the Constitution, that's what they're saying should be a fundamental are, right. You, you have captured the Democrats' conundrum <laughs> very, very well. And you know, when it's not in there, what the, what the court is saying is we're going to, as the founding fathers intended, we're going to respect federalism and let the states decide when something is not explicit. Pretty clear, I think pretty consistent to the way our founding fathers were thinking 246 years ago. The Democrats are on both sides of this issue because they don't like either ruling. But I do think those experts who've looked at it see a consistency in these rulings, even if you disagree with the philosophy. And you're in D.C. What's the mood there, the pulse? I saw the crowds gathering outside of the Supreme Court. Thus far, peaceful. Uh, a lot of passion, a lot of emotion, uh, a lot of people talking. Hopefully it stays at the talking level, doesn't get to the silliness that we've seen in the past. Excellent security around town. It is clear that the Metropolitan Police Department, Park Police, uh, Capitol Police have all been preparing for this moment. You see a, a very strong security posture. No National Guard troops out yet, but a very strong uh, posturing of security to let people know the bi- silly business will not be tolerated here. Uh, but a lot of passion. Uh, there are, you know, and we see the people who are against us, but there's also a lot of passion of people uh, who have worked for 50 years to overturn Roe v. Wade, rejoicing, being excited, feeling good that the Constitution uh, was abided by today in their mind. And I think that that uh, is also a sentiment you see around town and all around the country, quite frankly. Are the Supreme Court justices worried about their safety? And then part two of that question, what about Catholic churches? Because we've seen that they've been targeted in a lot of these instances. Uh, Talking to law enforcement today, I think there's a strong uh, feeling that the the justices have ample appropriate protection for the threat level, that they've been preparing for this. And I think they feel good about the Supreme Court justices. Uh, When you get down to the next level where you have counseling clinics where maybe people go to decide whether they want an abortion or not, they're a little worried about those. And I've seen many have to go out and hire private security in the last few weeks because of threats and episodes that have occurred. And then Catholic churches downstream haven't been able to get some visibility at what the archdiocese here in Washington is doing or in New York. But I know the Catholic Church is on notice that there could be some acting out. There could be some violence against them, depending how the next few days go. Thank you, John. And uh, uh, this is a beautiful weekend to come. And what do we stand for? Truth, for justice, justice, and, and the, the American, American way. way. And so everybody, God bless America.